Hey, welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. I want to make a quick reminder right now to click the download note so you can follow along. All right? Hey, I'm Jeff Kemp, and I am a well-loved adopted son. Actually, I was born to Jack and Joanne Kemp. Uh, they had a role to play in things. I'm a husband to Stacy. I'm a father of four sons who are married. Uh, I have nine grandkids. Um, I was designed with some great, great value, but some deep, deep flaws, okay? Uh, I happen to be an imparter of vision. Uh, I'm an ambassador for Jesus. Uh, I'm a citizen of heaven. My personality, I'm kind of a otter lion, uh, kind of that fun-loving leader with a bunch of ADD thrown in. But at the end of the day, you know who I am? I'm a well-loved son of a perfect father. And that's going to be the message for each of us as we go through this series, Receive the Way of Jesus for Men. So pretty pumped about it. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm going to give you in session one of five kind of an introduction, lay the groundwork. Where are we? What's the foundation? Uh, and then we're going to jump into four sessions that move along uh, with a book by the same title. Uh, the first is Receive. The second is Transform. The third is huddle. And the fourth is lift. Those are really the ways I found from the scriptures and looking at the life of Jesus that we can receive and live out our manhood. So let's jump right in. I want to start off kind of with a metaphor um, and remind us that human beings are receivers. That's why this is named receive. And men in particular are receivers. We may not realize it, and we may not live like it. We may think that we're always the initiators. Uh, but actually, we receive life. We receive our soul. Uh, we receive our body, our breath. This very second is given to me by God. We receive grace. Salvation is received. Our identity is received, and our manhood is received. But the key we're going to be talking about is how do we receive those things and then live them minute to minute, day to day. Uh, that's what this is all about. So session one is going to jump into kind of the background. But I want you to kind of think of that metaphor along the way that we didn't invent this football. We didn't manufacture this football. We didn't throw it first. We had to receive it. And the question is, Will we receive it? Will we embrace it? And then will we run with it? Because this is representing our identity in Christ, our manhood, the journey of our life, and everything that goes on. We receive it from the Father, and we live it by receiving. That's the way of Jesus. But it's not always working for, for us so much like that in a performance-driven, image-oriented, comparative culture. I got a fan letter way back when I was playing for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, in my career, I got to play 11 years in the NFL. That's kind of where I was uh, positioned. And then um, almost 30 years of ministry to families, found myself eventually with a focus on a mission to lift men to their identity and uh, making a difference in the lives of others. Uh, but back in the middle of my career, I was on the 49ers. Joe Montana got hurt. I was his backup. I came in and played well for uh, a number of weeks. And then I got a fan letter that said, Dear Jeff, I know that when Joe Montana comes back, you'll probably feel like you were shoveled off to the side and forgotten. You shouldn't feel bad. Just remember that Joe Montana is the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. 
what's it like to be around him? Did you get to talk to him? Pretty soon it was clear this was a fan letter for Joe written to me. And he went on and on about Joe. Uh, he, he actually asked me for an autograph, which surprised me. I thought he was going to ask me to get Joe's. Uh, and then he wrote, P.S., you're not as bad as some people might say. <laughs> so in this world of comparison, it doesn't matter if you're even a quarterback in the NFL. You still can be insecure thinking, oh, I'm not as good as him. And most of us have that question. Who am I really? And Am I good enough? Am I a good man? Am I a real man? We want to talk about those things on our journey to manhood. So what's a real man? What's a good man? How do we live it? That's the key I want to talk about. Millions of guys are really frustrated. Um, they don't really have the answer to how do they find this pathway? What's the vision for manhood? Uh, what's the journey to get there? Uh, how do I live it out every day? There's a lot of fake masculinity. Um, accidental manhood is killing us. And that is something that we got to change. We can't afford the, to live in the dark shadows of kind of insecurity, pretending, image, maybe competing, but not being secure in who we are. And there's a lot of damage, uh, not just to ourselves. There are high depression and loneliness and isolation rates. Suicide rates have gone up amongst men. Young men are struggling to find their way, living in their parents' basement for a long time. Video games and porn uh, and entertainment are kind of filling the space uh, that a journey and an adventure and a career used to take up many times. Um, and there's a price to be paid in the lives of women. Wives, marriages, not forming or breaking up, and of course in kids' lives because they're, they're the most vulnerable. Society is, is hurting from a loss of men who are lacking the vision for manhood and the way to get there. Uh, but God's got the answers to these things, and that's what we want to look at. Um, we don't want to stay lost without the clear answer. God the Father gives it. It's in Jesus Christ. It's in his spirit who he puts in us when we receive Jesus. Uh, it's in the word of God, which is Jesus and models Jesus and points us to Jesus. And it's alive and it'll change us. And, and that's where we're gonna get our answers. Um, his answer is in brotherhood and friendship and not walking alone. God's a God of teamwork and relationships. So that's gonna be the pathway that we'll be talking about for manhood. This message of receive is gonna tackle um, really a lethal crisis. It's the crisis of identity. Not being sure who we are or how to get there, how to define ourselves. Um, there are some vanguard um, ministries and leaders. Um, this is one of them that's painting the picture of what is real, good, godly manhood. The blueprint is Jesus. What I wanna tackle here is a bit of that, but mainly the how. Because we can be set up for failure if we think we need to perform this. It's not possible to perform this. This is something that comes by receiving it from the Father. That's the way Jesus did it. The way I got this message, I'll just give you a little background. In, in 2020, uh, every one of my speeches um, was canceled and all my trips, and I had a lot of time at home. And in that time, I started reconnecting with, with God, and I had this idea that I got from a friend uh, to ask God to refather me. And I started reading the Bible differently than in the past, not as a Christian, but as a son listening to Abba Father. Everything changed. I had a lot of extended time. Um, 
I looked in the scriptures for Jesus and what kind of man he was. And I studied everything I could in the Gospels about Jesus. It was really pretty cool. And then I interviewed 30 men that I thought had a humility and integrity and an honesty about manhood to get their ideas and insights about this journey of manhood. Now, came up kind of with the reality that there's a lot of pressure and a lot of us feel like we need to perform our manhood. And that runs counter to God's paradigm. This isn't about performance and pressure. This is about the presence of God in your life and letting him produce it through you. So this is a good news message, just like the good news, the gospel. It's received. It's not on us. That's the paradigm. The paradox is this. This way of living like Jesus is the very, very best way, but it is impossible. But when it is impossible, it makes us dependent and we turn to him, which is what he wanted us to do in the very first place. Let's look in the scriptures at uh, a great story that Jesus told. It's in Matthew chapter 19, story of a young guy. He's wealthy. He's an entrepreneur. He's got a lot of property. Um, he's been successful. He's a church guy. He's been following the rules. He's been doing it the right way. He's an upstanding fella who is um, really following the scriptures as best he can. But he's got this nagging sense that he hasn't quite done enough. He's not measuring up fully. And he comes to Jesus and he asks him, good teacher, what do I need to, to do to inherit eternal life? The story is fascinating because Jesus says, well, first of all, no one is good except God. That's the source of good. Uh, but hey, have you followed the rules? And he says, yeah, I followed all the commandments. And he went through, I think, five of the Ten Commandments, particularly the ones about how we relate to others. Um, he even threw in the golden rule. Jesus said, treat others as you want to be treated. And the guy said, I've done all this since I was young, but what else do I need to do? And Jesus said, well, one other thing, um, sell everything that you own and, and give it away to the poor. And then you'll have the perfect condition to be received into my kingdom. And the guy's head fell and his countenance dropped and he went away sad and grieving. And it says in the scripture that this guy couldn't let go of his possessions, his property, his significance, his position, who he was in the world. He was holding on to those more than he wanted to hold on to God in his kingdom. It's not a message about being poor. It's a message of holding on to anything, including an identity we've crafted, more than Jesus, the Father, and the kingdom that is our eternal destiny for our souls. Jesus actually said, hey, it's harder for a rich person to get into heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And he shocked his disciples. He said, well, who can then? And Jesus said, it's impossible with men, but all things are possible with God. That is the end game for how do we receive our identity, how do we receive our manhood, and how do we live a manhood that is real, authentic, and good, beneficial to others. The foundation of this whole thing is the way Jesus did it. He did it in dependence and connection upon his Father, receiving his guidance every minute. And that's what we want to be talking about as we go forward.
we're going to break a few paradigms um, and drop some of the pressure of I got to perform, I got to do this, I got to measure up, or some of the pain and regret you feel from the past. God erases that stuff and he changes the paradigm. And also, this is a team sport. And I want to remind you right from the beginning, if you're watching this, awesome, thank you. If you're watching it alone, cool, process it deeply. But if you really want to get the best benefit, you need to talk about it. And you need to act upon it. You need to do something about it. And I'm reminded by what Professor um, Dr. Gary Oliver told me, that in his years of coaching, counseling, therapy, uh, speaking at Promise Keepers events, national men's events, uh, he's realized that a lot of guys end up in frustration when they follow this formula. Information plus inspiration leads to frustration because you raise the bar on what you think you should do and how you should perform, but we can't live up to it because like Jesus said, a camel can't go through the eye of a needle and a man can't live the, the perfect life without depending on the Father. But here's key. Gary said, information plus inspiration plus experience, which is applying it, participating, doing life as a team sport with some other guys, processing it, dropping your guard, facing reality, admitting your struggles, your questions, talking them through, maybe confessing a deep secret or some trial or some sin in your life. Talking that stuff through is experience. And that leads to transformation. So we need to act. So I'm encouraging you to act upon these messages as God speaks to you, not me. He's the messenger. Listen to him. But talk it through with a friend, maybe with two guys in your own small huddle of friends, uh, and get an experience that can lead to transformation. So I'm curious, what are your goals in this time together? What do you want to get from it? I'll give you my thoughts and goals for you. Uh, I'd love for you, through God, to be able to settle your identity, to experience him as your father, okay, and identify every day as his son. Number two, for you to start experiencing this received principle of depending and receiving and listening from, to the father like Jesus did and living like that. It's, it means you start transforming. And, and third, I'd love for you to deepen friendship with one or two other guys. And that will happen as you dialogue with them about what's going on in your life and some of the things that you, God will be bringing up in this series. I was flying to Washington, D.C. from Little Rock, Arkansas um, a couple years ago, and uh, the team that I was working with was also in the airport, and they were going to a different city. But when I got to my uh, gate early in the morning, like at 6 o'clock, I wasn't quite awake. And instead of getting to my gate, I went to the gate they were at, sat down, and then I gave my phone when they said boarding, put it on the reader. They let me on the flight. I headed off, and actually, when I got to the plane, I said, hey, uh, there's someone in my seat to the flight attendant, and she said, oh, this plane isn't full. Don't, don't worry. Those seat assignments aren't always perfect. Just sit in that seat over there. So I did, grabbed an aisle, flew, landed in Chicago, uh, walked off, looked for my connecting flight, didn't show up at all on the reader boards. I couldn't find a gate for my flight to DC. And uh, so I started talking to the gate agent and told him the flight I was on. He said, no, you're not. I said, well, yeah, I am. I just came on this flight. He said, no, you weren't. And pretty soon we were in this weird <laughs> conversation. And I said, here I am. He said, no, you're not. Uh, he had to call his manager. 
and finally they figured out I had gotten on the wrong plane. Somehow my boarding pass let me and I ended up in Chicago instead of Dallas. But the cool thing was the manager found me another flight. I ended up getting a connection to DC and I got in like 15 minutes early. My wife said that's the type of grace that I don't deserve that happens far too often for kind of a um, scattered ADD guy like myself. But it was a reminder that on our journey, it's God's grace that gets us there. It isn't our excellence. It isn't our game planning. Even if you're excellent at those things, much more so than me, it's God. And so that's where we want to go on our journey. I grew up in a really loved family, really affirmed family, um, but I was still insecure. I was always kind of comparing myself. I remember crying in fifth grade when I lost a wrestling match and I wanted to impress my dad and his all-American wrestling friend from Notre Dame that was a teammate of his on the Buffalo Bills. Um, I remember 10th grade, there was this girl, Nadine, that I wanted to talk to and I followed her from our neighborhood to the high school every day and never would come within 20 yards of her to talk to her like I wanted to because I was insecure. I remember in college, I wasn't a starting quarterback, I was a backup at Dartmouth. Um, I didn't have my identity credentials, so less confidence. Um, and I remember making a lot of compromises in my behavior and my character to fit into the crowd because I wasn't secure in who I was, because I based it all in being a quarterback and being impressive. Um, I was kind of an audience chameleon. I would change performance for the different audiences that I was with. And that, of course, led to shortcuts and character compromises. I'd like you to think about where do you have a little bit of this schizophrenia of striving for different people, pleasing different audiences, um, that comes from insecurity and not being sure about our identity. I had a conversation with Robert Lewis, uh, who's kind of been a mentor to millions of men, and I live in the same town as him in Little Rock. And uh, I was talking to him and he said that men go through seasons that are very similar to spiritual seasons in their lives. And he named four seasons that really made sense to me. The first is struggle. It's when you're doing it on your own. Um, you may be succeeding big time, but you're doing it on your own and you always want to do more. Or you may not be succeeding very well and you're definitely knowing that you're struggling, okay? But the next season is surrender. That's the Christian journey. You surrender and let God take over. Surrender is when our real life takes over, when we're born again, uh, when the Spirit gets in us, when we realize the world doesn't revolve around us that there is a God and he's in charge, so I'm going to surrender. And then the next season is what he starts to do is he transforms us and we start to not live for ourselves in a selfish way, like a consumer, but more like an investor, interested in the good of others, interested in God's will, interested in the big picture, the long term. That's significance, the season of significance. And then if you've gone through those seasons for many years, you start to see God work and you start to remember this isn't about me, it's about him. And he's done so many good things and he's such a good, good father as Chris Tomlin sings in that song. Uh, it's a season of satisfaction. But not just satisfaction in playing golf and sitting by the pool. It's a season of satisfaction in sharing. You, you, you can't help but mentor. You can't help but encourage. You can't help but reinvest into the next generation and build a bridge for the ones who haven't yet traveled across the river. 
My transition, I'll tell you about real quickly, from struggle to uh, surrender, it came in college. Uh, I had two years of being a backup quarterback, struggling with my identity. Then I became a starter, put my identity into that. I became a frat boy. I had girlfriends. My acne cleared up. I had a contract with the Rams to try out and play uh, in the NFL. Everything looked great when I graduated from college. I was partying with my friends. Uh, we had about a week of parties before graduation, and I'd go to bed at 3 in the morning, um, really inebriated and drunk. We'd been drinking all day. But for these two nights in a row, at 3 a.m., I was spiritually sober because God was knocking on the door. He was tapping my heart. Uh, he's the one that calls us. We don't figure it out ourselves. And he was calling me. And I was wondering, why am I so happy, successful, getting everything I want, having a blast, but I feel empty? And Romans 8.28 hit me. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And I realized, geez, I act cocky, but I'm insecure. I'm supposed to be a leader, but I'm a follower. I'd like to be unselfish, but I'm selfish in my relationships. And I'm empty with this degree of success that I'm feeling. And I think I know why. Because I stopped that Bible verse with all things work together for good for those who love God, period. I'm a Christian. It'll work out. He'll forgive me. But it says to those who are called by his purpose, God has a better purpose, and you need to surrender to him. And I decided to do that, partly out of solving that emptiness and partly out of, God, I need a bunch of help if I'm ever going to make it as a free agent in the NFL. But God met me where he was, and he turned my life around as I turned to him for my purpose. That was my season of surrender, and it's changed everything since then. To find your journey, you need a guide. Think of being a, a mountain climber on Everest. You've got to have a guide to lead you there. Um, I had a really good guide when it came to throwing footballs. My dad, Jack Kemp, had been a quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. He'd won championships. He'd been a most valuable player. And he taught me to throw the ball from the time I was four years old. I had a blast throwing the football with my dad. Um, and he was the guide showing me the way. When it came to snow skiing, which was a, a passion of mine, uh, my dad taught me to ski when I was four years old. He was my guide. And then we met uh, this former Olympian, Stein Erickson, a friend of my dad's, and dad said, follow Stein. And every Christmas we'd ski and I'd follow Stein. He was the guide, the model, the one showing the way for me. Do you have a guide in your life? Is there kind of a role model you look up to, and more importantly, someone you have a relationship with, a mentor. I was talking to Russell Wilson as one of the guys that I interviewed. He's a quarterback for the, um, the Broncos and used to be at the Seahawks when I talked to him. And uh, I asked Russell about his journey of manhood, and he said, oh, I was a troublemaking rascal. All I cared about was sports, not grades, not school. Um, I was selfish. I was kind of a pain in the classroom. And uh, he said, but I had a dream one night that my dad passed away. And it scared me so much. We were a church-going family. Uh, the next day when I went to church, I talked to God, and I received Jesus, and I was born again that next day at church after this dream about my dad dying. Well, his dad did die. I think it was like at age 19 or so, uh, when Russell was 19. His dad passed away. Uh, 
and Russell's journey of manhood kind of accelerated um, pretty quickly through that blitz and that trial. But he said that he ran into a guide during his uh, junior high school or high school years uh, by the name of Mr. Booker. And he was a teacher who said, Russell, if you put half as much energy into your studies and to treating people well as you put into your sports, there's no telling how far you could go. He said that totally changed his life because he got a different vision and he started focusing on applying himself academically as well as athletically and treating people well, which improved relationships and turned him into a leader. That guide set the course for Russell's journey. Russell quoted to me 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought and reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I did away with childish things. Russell matured, just as the Apostle Paul was talking about, putting away the childish things. But we can't do that well unless we figure out our identity. And we figure out our identity by receiving it from the Father. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And love is the thing God initiates. God is love. We receive it from him, and then we're to pass it on. And if we don't live with love, we don't feel secure, we don't feel satisfied, and we don't build great relationships that make a mark in this world to bless others and glorify God. Galatians 5.6, this is a passage that one of my teammates um, Steve Largent, a guy that's in the Hall of Fame, but he had a certain passion for God. And he told me years ago when I was on the Seahawks with him, his favorite and most important Bible verse is Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Faith is receiving from God everything he gives you. And expressing in love is God's purpose for you to demonstrate his character and his love to others which you depend upon him to do. Remember, it was impossible to go to heaven as a rich man, just as it's impossible to live this life without God's power. So what season are you in? Think about it. Is it still struggling, maybe with a bunch of success, or struggling with a blitz right now? You're getting smacked. You're getting nailed. Um, life is hard. You're kind of in pain. And that's where a lot of us are. Um, or you're kind of on the fringes, kind of you're observing, but you haven't really jumped in and engaged and said, God, I trust you. I want you to take over. Or maybe you're engaged and you're like, I'm ready for the next thing. God, show me the next thing. Change my life. Transform me. Use me. What season are you in? Struggling or have you surrendered? Have you moved to significance? Have you started to be satisfied and share with others? I've found that there is a secret key to living this journey of being a man that's real and good. And it starts with receiving your identity and living from it, not for it. You're not trying to earn it or achieve it. You can only receive it. We're trying to become secure. We're trying to find our purpose. And those things are only found in a relationship with Christ that gets you adopted by a perfect dad. And then we got to figure out how to live as a son of the father. That's the gist of receive. Figuring out how to be faithful and true, trustworthy and authentic, loyal and honest. That'll change a marriage. That'll change your fathering. That'll heal some things when you go back and apologize and admit 
where you've been off track or maybe where you were wounded by your dad. You can be real when God loves you already. You can drop your guard. It doesn't matter what the crowd thinks. So the way to live this is the same way Jesus did. You receive, you transform and change, you huddle in friendship and brotherhood with a few close, trusted friends, and you lift others in every situation the way Jesus lifted. So let's take a look kind of at a diagram I drew up of this journey from who I am today, as is, to who I'm going to become. And more importantly, who you are today, as is, and who you will be in the future. You see down in the bottom left, as is condition. That's who you are today, what you're dealing with, the issues, the struggles, the script you're playing from. Uh, are you trying to impress, compare? Are you insecure, acting cocky, acting insecure, scared, addicted to some things, uh, achieving and happy about it, a little bit proud? But who are you going to be in the future? That's up there in the 2B. God's at work, and he's conforming us to the image of Christ, and there's going to be a better version of us. But there's two key things that happen that we'll be talking about in this series that help us transform and grow into that to-be version. The top is receiving. It's continual receiving from God the Father, Jesus the Savior, the Holy Spirit, His presence in us. That's all day long. It's not just in a quiet time, definitely not just at church, definitely not just watching this video series. And then from the down below, you can see consistent huddling. I drew kind of these circles that every week you might pull aside with a friend and process your life. What went on this last week? What's going on this next week? What's the most important thing that I need prayer for? How can I pray for you? That huddling makes you self-aware and it kind of mutually disciples one another. It exhorts you, it encourages you, it helps you, it helps you be real. And, and that combined with listening to God moves you to the new version of who you're gonna be. All right, let's take a quick look at the blitz on men. This is kind of the problem we're facing. I uh, have been investing a lot of time and friendship uh, into a fellow who was only a peer of mine when I met him, but we truly are friends now. But I met him after he had amazingly huge success in the athletic field. Um, his ego was totally built around his job and his career and the credit and credentials and platform um, and the glory that he received from it. But he was summarily dismissed and lost not just his job and his career, but his identity. And that big bandwagon of fans emptied right away. A lot of pro athletes know this feeling. His story of losing his identity because he'd wrapped it up totally in a false script of performance and achievement and the things this world throws at you um, is not uncommon to athletes, actors, musicians, corporate CEOs, and any of us guys, because we're all trying to measure up and feel okay. But we don't when we don't have our identity rooted in something better than our performance, our career, our job, our achievements. The blitz on men is a crisis of identity. There's so much competition and comparison that we're struggling. The culture is based on comparison. We're missing the vision of manhood in the model of Jesus. And in the culture, you know, they say ma masculinity is toxic, and sure, certainly there are way messed up versions of masculinity that are toxic, 
but we have a toxic culture that's ruining benevolent masculinity and true manhood. We're confused. There's counterfeits to manhood. We're losing the dads in our lives. We're losing those guides that show us the way. The vision's missing, the role model's missing, the pathway is missing, uh, the rites of passage being ushered into the fraternity of men. That's not a common thing. The Jewish communities used to do that. The American community doesn't. And the Christian community, the family of God, we ought to be the best at it, but it's not happening enough. There's a loss of team. By team, I mean some deep, trusted friends, some brothers. That's the way Jesus lived. Mentors. Not many of us have mentors, or not many of us are mentoring. Uh, we get very aggressive when we don't have our identity on performing for little things that don't matter. Sports, money, how many followers we have on social media, extreme sports, whatever. But we get passive in the important things of relationships, faith, letting God reshape our character. There's a bunch of false scripts and I, uh, for manhood, and there's some false measures. Vody Bauckham came up with three Bs, and I'm going to add a, a fourth one. Um, the ball field, sports and performance. Um, the billfold, how much money you're making, how much wealth can you amass. And the bedroom, what's your popularity with the girls? What's your sexual activity level? Um, what are you getting in that area uh, of sex? Um, those have been historical false measures of manhood. But there's a, a fourth one today. It's brand. Everyone's image. We're all trying to craft our image. And social media and the internet and marketing, um, it's making us so self-centric. And when you delve into self, there's emptiness. When you anchor in God, there's meaning. I asked Ben Watson, former tight end for the New England Patriots and a few other teams, hey, Ben, you work with a lot of young guys. What's belittling guys? What's wounding guys? What's damaging young men today? Here's what he said. Always trying to prove themselves through a lot of avenues that'll never really prove themselves. They're never satisfied. They're never going to get there. It's a never-ending chase for these guys to get approval from somebody else. Whenever they fall short, they don't have another man, a father or a father figure, to say, hey, I'm proud of you, and you have what it takes. Wow, I think he hit the nail on the head, and so did my mentor and a wonderful vision caster for manhood, uh, Robert Lewis. He said, if you could open a man and see his vision, by that he means his vision for meaning, for manhood, and for life, you'll see his whole life. You can't become what you can't define. Men are drowning in a black hole, a culture without older men giving the vision and fathers calling them into manhood. Guys, you and I can't become what we can't define, which is why the what of manhood is important. But I think it's even important, more important that we figure out the how. It's by following the way of Jesus. True manhood, true masculinity, it's basically Christ-likeness. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to have courage. You're supposed to be good at what you do. You were made to make a difference. But that strength is all meant for the benefit of others and the glory of God, not self. 
And those are the tricky things in an age of selfishness and pride and glory. Here's a few essentials of real and good manhood. We are made in God's image, and that makes us confident. Interestingly, it also makes us humble because we were made. We didn't make ourselves. We follow Jesus' way. That's essential to manhood. That's humility. It's received. It's not achieved. Again, that's humility. It's focused to benefit others, not self. That's humility. Consider the interests of others ahead of yourself. And manhood is best in a team. That's humility. I can't win without my teammates. I'm part of the brotherhood. Now, I mentioned blitzes a couple times. You know blitzes from football. It's when the defense attacks aggressively, try to surprise you, shock you, injure, fumble, intercept. Um, but you got to realize that blitzes are crises that are not just danger. They're also opportunity. And in God's economy, Jesus changed the world through the worst blitz ever. The Apostle Paul went through blitzes that you and I would never, ever have to go through. And God did amazing things through blitzes all through history. Think of the life of Joseph. Blitzes trigger transformation. And if you're in a blitz, I, I feel for you. It's very real. But God wants to use that blitz, that trial, that difficulty, that shocking loss, to trigger a transformation to maybe move you from struggle to surrender and into significance. And it all starts with surrendering and saying, God, I want you, so I'm going to receive everything you want to give me as your son. I need to be adopted and fathered by you and led by you. Genesis 50:20 is a great summation of God's paradigm. It's when uh, Joseph and his brothers, uh, their dad died, and they were afraid that Joseph was going to get some retribution on them at this point uh, for how terribly they treated him. And remember, he's now feeding them and helping them after they've come to him for help. He's become the second in command of Egypt. And uh, when they fear him punishing him, he says, don't you guys worry. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. The blitz that was meant to damage you in God's hands will be jujitsued into a positive for his glory and for our transformation, to be conformed to the image of Christ, which makes you a better man, a better friend, a better boyfriend, a better husband, a better dad, a dad that can apologize, a dad that's humble, a guy that can get out of his porn, a guy that can confess that affair, a guy that can say no to alcohol, which has been grabbing him and eating his lunch for a while, a guy that can get off the internet and start living a real life and not imitating one. God will help you change and transform if you get real, if you surrender, and if you start receiving from him. I mentioned Joseph and uh, the way his whole blitz turned around. Think of Paul's blitzes. He, he got thrown in prison. He said, this turned out great, you guys. Uh, I'm stuck in prison, and I'm getting a witness to all these Roman guards, and they travel all over the world, and they take this gospel message of Jesus. So this has worked out great. That's the type of attitude we need to have about our trials and tribulation and, and blitzes. My friend has been through two hellish years. No transformation has come easily. The light bulb messages from God of surrendering to him and receiving the love of God as his identity as a son uh, hasn't happened quickly, but it's starting to happen. His journey with Christ has started happening. God's transforming him. Good things are happening. There's hope for him, and there's hope for you wherever you are.
All we got to do is get honest and say, God, I can't do it. I've been trying to put this camel through that eye of the needle. Um, not just is it impossible for me to go to heaven without you, it's impossible for me to be the man I'm supposed to be without you. So I want to try it your way. There is hope. I'm reminding you guys, though, that if you chase after achievement and glory and performance, you'll get pride, and pride is kryptonite to us men. We can't handle pride, and we can't handle glory. So think about the blitzes you're facing right now and the false scripts that you've been believing that make you keep trying to solve your life problems the same way you did in the past, and it's not getting you out of them. They're pulling you away from the true father and pulling you away from your true identity. Andre Agassi, fabulous tennis player, um, his dad pushed him like crazy. Andre responded and loved the competition, it was talented, became a success. Success fueled more. He figured out how to market himself. Andre Agassi is famous for the advertising campaign for Canon cameras. Image is everything. And he built a huge image on himself and promoted it, and made a lot more money, had a big life, big blonde hairdo. Uh, but he started going bald, and he kept up the image of the long, blonde, swashbuckling tennis player and had a toupee attachment that was glued on. And it got damaged one day in the shower before he went out and competed. And uh, it started to fall off and was exposed in front of the world. An image eventually will be exposed to be empty. We can't trust images as our basis of life, as our basis of manhood. Identity is who you are on the inside. Image is who you sell to people on the outside. Image is going to fail. Um, it's unreliable. It's a false security. It makes you not only try to perform, but then it makes you pretend when you can't perform as well as you want. And you get stuck in a comparison trap. Um, money, media, social media, this is an exponential increase on the comparison culture and the insecurity. So a question for yourself is how much stuff am I looking at in other people's lives? Around me physically, in my career, on the internet, how much am I looking at other stuff? And then how much comparing am I doing, measuring myself against others? That's a losing proposition. Remember how insecure I was when I lost that wrestling match and I cried and in college when I didn't feel like I was a starting quarterback so I couldn't be confident with the girls and with that girl in high school uh, that I was afraid to talk to. Um, insecurity drove me to be a performance-chasing imitator of who I really wanted to be. It left me empty. And interestingly, even though I had a lot of confidence in my future because my dad was a great encourager, I felt insecure compared to him because he was an all-pro, MVP, championship-winning NFL quarterback, and I was a third-string or second-string quarterback at Dartmouth. And I was a good little speaker uh, in front of audiences and stuff and had a good extrovert leader personality, but my dad was speaking in Congress and before the whole nation at the uh, National Political Convention. So I always felt less than by this image that I compared myself to. Comparison tanks us. We are image bearers of a perfect father. 
Genesis 1.27, you're made in the image of God. Male and female, he created us in his image. That's where we need to go. I remember being benched in my eighth year in the NFL, right when I had a fabulous opportunity uh, with the Seahawks to be a starter. And we played against the 49ers. It was a home game in Seattle. I was so well prepared, so ready to just kind of take over and win the game and show the Seahawks I could be the starter. It was the worst game I've ever played. Only completed four passes and three of those to the wrong team in the first half. And I was not only benched, but I moved from first string to third string right away that game. And I stayed on the bench for a long time in Seattle. Um, at age 33, after 12 years in the NFL, I was cut. I was a quarterback one day, I was nothing the next. The question is, was my identity stolen because of that? Was I nobody because I was no longer a quarterback? Of course not, but most of us feel like we're a nobody because we've attached our identity to, am I a starter or not? Am I on the team? Am I in the NFL? Am I a quarterback? Am I a CEO? Do I have a job? How do I look? Am I driving the right car? Is my house impressive enough? A lot of this goes back to our dads, though. Um, there's a fatherhood gap, a wounding, so to speak, in many of us, and a vacuum of hearing the right messages from our dad. And that steals our identity and sends us off on this crazy chase. A lot of us, maybe you, have had a distant dad, or a dad who left the family and wasn't around at all, or a dad who was kind of cold and didn't know how to affirm you, or had some huge inconsistencies and really did some negative things in your life. Um, maybe he was cruel. Like a little boy I coached in uh, Little League, uh, he wasn't the fastest kid. He was kind of shorter, a little heavier. Uh, he didn't start, but the coaches loved him. We worked with him. We played played him, got him in the games, uh, loved to build up his character and identity. Uh, he had a sweet spirit. But one day this guy, I assume it was his dad, got out of a car, stood by his car, didn't walk onto the field like most of the dads to pick up his son from practice, and yelled over, hey, doofus, get over here. Oh my gosh, my blood was curdling. I wanted to go over and punch him. I didn't, but I, I doubled down with our coaches. I said, you guys, listen to what this boy gets called by his dad, or whoever that is. We need to affirm him, love him, strengthen him, include him, build him up. But how many of us basically are still hearing that, hey, doofus, even if it wasn't by your dad, you've heard that voice somewhere, and the script in our culture has said, you don't measure up, you don't have what it takes, you're not a good man, don't try, you don't qualify, you're disqualified, you're a doofus. The answer comes from God. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, To all who receive him and believe in his name, that means Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, the resurrected one, the meaning of eternal life, your Savior. To all who receive him and believe in his name, he gave the right to be children of God, your identity as a son of a perfect dad. That's the answer. That's where we're going next week when we talk about receiving. So whether we had an affirming dad, a neglectful dad, an absent dad, um, an abusive dad, or really an encouraging and fun dad like mine, no dad can be good enough compared to a perfect father, a perfect dad, an Abba father. And you've got a perfect dad. 
He designed you. He proved his love for you unconditionally by sacrificing Christ on the cross. He invited you to be his adopted son, but you have to accept it and receive it. Um, Jesus paid the ultimate and the complete price to give us the complete solution to gain our identity as a son who's in a citizen of heaven for eternity, an ambassador for Christ, and that'll all lead to being a better husband, better dad, and a better man for God's kingdom. So let's receive our identity from the Creator, because when we receive it from the Father, it settles the issue. It transcends everything else. It gives us security. It anchors our view of ourselves, how we work, how we relate to our family and to other people. Being an image bearer of God is at our core. It's, it's the essence of who you are, and it shapes who you will become as you move from the as is to the to be. So next session, we're going to talk about this, finding our identity and receiving the way Jesus received. Uh, I want to pray for you real quick, okay? Father God, I just pray that um, I would hear from you and that every guy would hear from you what you want them to hear, not what I say. Put us all in that place where we're receiving from our Father. And I, Father, I pray that these men would experience this message by action and by talking it through and trying something different, that they'd team with a friend and discuss it, and that they'd face reality because you've already faced it. And if they face it with you, they can turn the present reality into a much greater future reality, including the blitzes that they're in. Comfort them, encourage them, put a team around them, turn bad into good. Uh, Father, help us receive grace and help us receive our identity. All right, guys, this week I want to remind you this. Live by receiving and start each morning as a son. Live by receiving, start each morning as a son.